Well, I think um, I think a lot of fights in business, and I mean, when I say business, I'm going to say the all of it, like the yeah. deal making, the funding, the running, all the way down from the person at the front desk, all the way up to the CEO in the ivory tower. You know, it doesn't matter if you're three people, 30 people, 30,000 people. I think when it comes to thing like things that are extremely aggressive opinions in the workplace and business land, a lot of them just stem from a total lack of communication of how a deal works. And an example of that is like, if I ever have, you know, a, an issue and I don't really get to manage on the off chance that there is a personnel issue that that I get involved in usually my response retort and solution is let's walk them down the line like let's explain why it is the way that it is like they may not know why a salary has to be capped at this level or why we don't have you know beer taps in the corner or why we do like on the flip side, because that can be a good decision in terms of reducing attrition. If you have high attrition and you need more fun stuff that I won't call culture, but I'll call it fun stuff in the office or on the Zooms or whatever. Like for all things, like they have to drive back to the purpose of the company, which is driving value and being people first. And then that wheel of stakeholders. When we say people, we mean the whole wheel. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. The podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. That's experience with an ED. Click on podcast, scroll down to read more about this episode and other episodes. And of course, if you're ever looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, click that find a trusted professional on the homepage, and we will get you connected with someone that actually knows what they're doing and buying and selling real estate, which is actually kind of funny because on this episode today, First time meeting face-to-face, talked several times on the phone, Ashley flew here this morning to be on the show. Ashton Moore, how are you doing, sir? Wonderful. Four o'clock wake up, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, we'll make it up with some uh, steaks and uh, uh, old fashions tonight. My man. Which we'll come back and talk about old fashions. You and I have had a lot of conversations about yeah. those and your ability to deliver on an old fashioned on all of you in your business ventures. But in the beginning of these, I always start off with a dumb dad joke to annoy my father-in-law who says I'm supposed to do a joke. So I just thought since you flew here to Texas that this wouldn't be appropriate. Is you go into the hotel and you sit down and a mug is placed between your hands and you say, wow, these drinks are big. The bartender replies, everything's big in Texas. Okay. I wow. didn't say they were good jokes. Wow. Did you write that this morning? No, no, no. I literally, when we were sitting here talking, I Google like hotel jokes, right? Because we can't go in and talk about what we were talking about on the air about a thing I had tripped onto, you know, because I don't want to violate that NDA thing we were talking about. It's just best not to violate. But no, 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 no. I don't want to lose that privilege. But I thought, I thought you might get a little kick out of that as we were sitting here. So for the audience, Don Williams has been on my show a couple times. And uh, Don introduced Ashton to me 
And so from there, we connected on the phone. We talked and actually, and I got to say, I'm incredibly grateful. You've managed to send a whole lot of business my way. And thank you for that. All we, kinds of referrals. Helpers help. That's what, that's what we were saying before we went yeah. on air, right? It's like when you help people, you get helped. And it's this, this amazing cycle of bearing fruit and helping others and building your companies and meeting new people. It's very, so, but you're very welcome. I yeah. love helping. That's my favorite. Oh, man. So it's funny is uh, shortly after you and I had talked a couple times on the phone, one of my business partners in my other company, a landscaping company, Ricky. Mm-hmm. He had, was Rick. going out to DC and I said, Hey, you got to get with my buddy Ash and, and you got to tell me if he does in fact have the best old fashioned in DC. And of course, Ricky's like, I drink Miller Light. I don't know anything about old fashions. And I said, Well, just tell me if it's a good one. Right. And, uh, and so when Ricky went out there and he was like, Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was slow motion the next day. (laughs) The the good old fashions, you don't know how quickly they get down. They're like, oh, another one. Another one and another one. So you are, uh, for the audience, Ashton is also an EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. And uh, so I'll just let you take it from here. Let's uh, talk about, well, let's kind of start off like, where did you grow up? Where are you from? How'd you get to where you're at? And you've got like... 50 things going on. I do want to build, uh, I want to get to the 100 mark uh, for million dollar businesses in my lifetime. And I do, that is one of my plans and passions. Um, grew up, I was homeschooled, uh, vegan. I uh, didn't have fi- cheese toes in my teens and fish, shrimp, late teens. So interesting upbringing in terms of diet, uh, in terms of geography, also interesting. I was born on uh, Basie Mountain in Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. Kind of moved all around the the country because my parents were what they would say is looking for a place they wanted to raise five boys they finally found that when i was 15 in west virginia but a lot of people think i'm from west virginia i'm actually from virginia grew up in ohio florida west coast a little bit but settled in west virginia when i was 15. the nearest city to the town uh, i believe their town has 319 people in it and the nearest large city is Washington, D.C. So it didn't take me long to find myself living and working in that in that uh, Washington, D.C. And I haven't left since. I love it there. Man, D.C., if anybody's never been there, is just, it, it, you, you can't see D.C. in a weekend. There's way too much. And if, if you ever want to understand the power of the United States, just go to Washington, D.C. and see everything, not just the monuments and mm-hmm. the statues and the museums and the White House and everything else. It's, it's all amazing. Just, yeah, it's just the investment in money to be able to demonstrate the history of the United States, especially, mm-hmm. you know, all the war memorials. Just shows you why we're we're at the top of the food chain. Right? It's it's incredible. I mean, you have people. I think of cities these days as almost like you know ancient Rome. It's why I love being in a city. You have the scholars and the philosophers and the artisans and the creators, the builders. You have the law in DC. You have the lawmakers. You have the lawyers, the legislators, 
And so it really is a place. There's something for anybody. And especially now that we actually have good food. Uh, <laughs> it's That's newer. That's in the last decade that we've we've actually popped up a, a great food scene. And by that, I mean, we've always had great spots. You have to say that in case anybody's listening to spot <laughs> 12 years ago. We've always had great spots, but just no volume. Like, But now there's volume. Like Every neighborhood has somewhere great to go now or a few places great to go now. So you can keep yourself entertained like for dinner as well, whereas previously it was more power than food. Now it's kind of balancing out, which yeah. is great. <laughs> no, it, it, it is interesting that you say that. So at least once a year, we Laura and I go out there for a couple of reasons. One, my college roommate, works in uh, the DC area there. So it gives me a chance to see him and his wife at least once a year. And then we always trek out to a place called the Inn at Little Washington, three Michelin (laughs) star, right? And Mm -hmm. we always book a night, which is incredibly, for me to say something's expensive, Because my wife doesn't even think that I know the end of a dollar sign, right? But even my, I'm like, man, that's pretty expensive, but yeah. So worth it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And it just, like you said, you go now, it's like you actually have lots of options. Yep. Well, I've, I, I actually have you booked, and my my uh, significant life, life partner, Joy, actually made fun of me. She goes, So you and I talk, you tell me you're in DC, it's six months out. And all of a sudden, she gets a dinner invite for like <laughs> August or September, October. I don't even know what it's way <laughs> yeah. out. And she goes, Is this for real? I was like, yeah, Jeremy's coming to town. We're going to take him to dinner. And we're going to take you to one of the great new Indian places called Daru on H Street Northeast. It's D-A-R-U. It's incredible. There are talks that it may be in the hunt for a Michelin star as well. But it's also super, like, it feels homey on top of amazing food and cocktails. And it's walking distance from one of the cocktail staples in uh, D.C., which is Copycat. So you've got... Indian dinner. We've got cocktails after a copycat. It's going to be a great date, Jeremy. Oh, man. I am looking forward to it. So, so for Christmas, well, Laura's birthday is less than four weeks after Christmas. So mm-hmm. I always try to usually splash the pot. And we've been in this, right? Well, you know, we got our place in Colorado and we, we do a lot of backpacking and hiking into the mountains, but we've been wanting to explore this, like either camper or rv type yep. traveling just because we've never really done it and in june we're going to alaska for four weeks we nice. rented an rv to go see all of alaska and all of that but we when we dive into something we really like to dive into it well as it turns out the largest rv camper show in the world is in hershey pennsylvania in september so i found that out and i was like cool we'll go there Plus, one of my old Marine Corps buddies is in Maryland. Mm-hmm. You're in D.C. Mm-hmm. My college roommate's in. So it's like, oh, yeah. So Amazing. we booked like this 10-day trip Amazing. to fly in. And then she was telling me the other day, she was like, man, I'm really excited about going uh, because naturally the pandemic kind of got in the way of a lot of travel in the last so couple much. of years, right? But we were, we were, she was just like, yeah. And I was like, and it's been funny because it seems like you know, she and I, even up to the pandemic, would go to D.C. every year. And it just seems like, like what you're talking about, it's just a little more different each yep. time. Each time. It's less about the legislation and yep. more about the nightlife and experience. Yeah, it's, right? it's growing. It's building. No. I mean, it's always had an incredible culture. Uh, but I'd say the city is just sort of 
it keeps uh, growing. And I don't just mean in terms of size or money. I mean, it's, it's maturing. It's becoming, it's like, it's building even more depth in its history and its culture, which is amazing. You've got a few spots there, don't you? I do. I have uh, I have two bars. So one of my, we'll get into me in a little bit, but one of my holding company primarily invests in bars and real estate. Um, as you know, we're hoping to turn the real estate stuff up at some point, but right now we're focused um, on bars. So the two things, I, three things I do that are extracurricular is building open bars, usually with partners. We put a handful, we have great partners in Washington, D.C. who we opened the mirror and never looked better with. Never looked better is in Black Nelly. It's very loungy, it's young, it's vibrant, it's fun. Espresso martinis for days. And if you're in Black Nelly, the only way you know it's there is if you see the gray door with stickers on it. (laughs) You open that door, that's how you get in. And there's a set of stairs, get down there, it'll be amazing. The other one is, uh, where all the law firms are on K Street. So it's K and 14th. And this one, you walk down a set of creepy stairs, find some broken glass. You think to yourself, this is not a place I want to be. And what's even in here? But if you look through the broken glass, there's a floor to ceiling mirror. And if you tug on the right side of that mirror, it opens up to a candle lit speakeasy. Like light bars everywhere, more candles than you can count. Like fresh cocktails for days, old school hip hop, and everything's covered in wood. It's amazing. And that's where I took Ricky, where he had a couple old fashions. He told me, he said, this is one of the coolest places he's ever been. That's what he said. And uh, you'll get to see him tonight since we're going to do dinner tonight. Amazing. And uh, so what got you into the the bar space? So I, I grew up when I moved to West Virginia. Look at that great segue. When I moved to West Virginia, I was homeschooled, didn't have a high school diploma, although I finished the curriculum when I was 15. They didn't let you get your GED in West Virginia until you were 18 to encourage people not to drop out and work and support the family. They want people to finish school. They didn't let me do that. So instead, I went to work and I had every odd, I don't think I had a weekend or evening off or like a good, like a Thursday off for most of my childhood like my teen years i was bartending barbecues private parties was loading trucks and like loading the food and beverage up to put a tuxedo on and go work all night load the truck back up bring it back so i learned in my teen my late teen years nothing makes me happier than making sure that somebody has a drink in their hand because that's what i did i just line 100 this is why i love you line this is why i love you my heart just (laughs) says thank you <laughs> it makes it makes you uncomfortable if you ever invite me to a house party you leave me alone for five minutes i'm going to start serving champagne or something because i'll be like why is that empty why is that empty shouldn't they have another drink i mean what's going on here so it's so so i just grew up doing that and yeah. so I, I love it and so i started in my early early 20s late teens early 20s i started doing uh some consulting it work Somehow got a job as an IT director, parlayed that into my first IT company, ended up, you know, ran that for probably five years, I think five years. And then I ended up getting back into what I did as a kid, which I did branding and web work for free as a part of my curriculum as a teenager. And so I just had been doing websites on the side through my IT shop because back then they didn't know web and IT were like different. So I'd have a few clients would be like, would you do this? And anybody else, the answer would be, well, we're an IT shop. But I was like, I do uh, do that. So we'll build your thing. So 
mid twenties, I got heavy into that, um, just getting back into it. And I started doing the advertising thing through that job, digital ads all day, more web, more brand. And that has been through a few iterations uh, over time, but it's now a 20 some person advertising agency, which is where I spend most of my time. I have a lot of stuff, but it runs really well. Thanks to the team on the ground always. So I spent most of my time, uh, you know, helping people scope out whether or not uh, advertising will help grow their company or not, uh, which is a little bit of what we're going to talk about because it's, it's black and white. If you have a product market fit and you have the ability to scale your supply chain, advertising should, it's flashing bright lights, should bring you money back. So you're putting money out and out and then it comes back with more friends. So that's what I've been doing the last, uh, geez. Last five years have been building the ad agency. Um, started an accounting and finance shop to protect the bottom line. So we can do both, grow the top line, protect the bottom line. Yeah. And then really probably one of my favorite, I love the bars, but this is going to blow your mind. I do something that makes me even happier than owning bars. Don't fall out of your chair here. I started officially volunteering to be an accountability group coach through a program in DC called Entrepreneurly where they assigned three entrepreneurs who are in between 250 and a million dollars in revenue. And they now meet with me every month for me to help them grow to a mill in revenue. And it is, I actually said the other day, I said this to Joy, and I think she actually did fall out of her chair. She was so flattered and delighted. I go, entrepreneurly and coaching young entrepreneurs is the best thing in my life second to you, darling. And she, she liked that one. So I, I got to remember that. But it is so rewarding to help young entrepreneurs get traction and figure it out. So my other other side gig is I do invest in some, not the ones to that company, because I don't think that's allowed. Not the ones I'm coaching as a nonprofit, <laughs> but, but I do help invest and grow other you know entrepreneurs. And then I coach them. I help them get live. We've got a couple builds coming, coming live this year. So really, end of the day, I build companies. But I do, Jeremy. I Man, that's yeah. that's pretty. It is a lot of fun building companies. It is it? so rewarding. Yeah, because what and, and I know you're interviewing me, but I'd love to get your thoughts on what, what do you think the point of a company is? Like full stop. Full stop. Like if you had to sum it up in one mm -hmm. one why, sentence. Why do why do they exist? What are they for? People. <laughs> it's got to be people. Yeah, I love right? that. Yeah, and uh, and it's interesting that topic. So. I'm on uh, TCU's MBA alumni board, and we had our board meeting Friday. And after the board meeting, there was a, I'm trying to remember this girl's name. She's a futurist. So I'm big into George Friedman, futurist. You know, hey, this is based on history. This is what he predicts for the future. He's been following for years, and he's been pretty, pretty accurate on stuff. And one of the things that she was talking about is because we have high inflation going on right now, right? Now, you have some people that go, oh, my gosh, it's high inflation. We're going to crumble, kind of like Argentina did. No, we're not. Nah. I mean, yeah, high inflation makes it expensive, but they have runaway inflation in some other countries. All right. And it's so, but we are on the downward slope, right, which is, which is cyclical, right? Mm -hmm. it, and, and what I mean by that is we were seeing signs in the economy before the pandemic hit in a lot of labor shortage areas, right? Arrest, right. Yeah. So because 
one, the baby boomers retiring out, dying out. And now you've got this technology generation, right? That is like, hey, I don't, I don't, I don't really have a desire to go put a hammer in my hand. Yeah. Right. So there's this gap that's been created over the last number of years that eventually is going to catch up. And you and I talk about that, you know, in real estate, just like, hey, it doesn't matter how bad the supply chains here are right now. You can have all the nails you want, but if you've got nobody swinging a hammer, it doesn't yeah. matter, right? So here it is. You've got that, right? And one of the things that she brought up is in 2016, she was in Las Vegas, and that's when they brought in this truck that was self-driving, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, that's when she, at first she said, I was really amazed by it. And then it hit me. It's like, wait a minute. Truckers make up a lot of the industry job wise. Mm-hmm. What do you do what at do a point know? when they don't have jobs because they've been replaced essentially by robots, right? So now you got a bunch of people that need to work somewhere because they got to be able to provide, right? So here's this gap, right, of people that need to have something to do, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not just, because if not, that means, well, like anything, it, it means the government's going to have to pay. And I, I think a lot of people are like, okay, yeah, that seems like a cool idea until the government has to pay for everybody. Right. Right. So this is this gap, right? So there's people. So when I hear people is like people that to, to have jobs, be able to pay for their families, be able to uh-huh. pay for things. Like I, re- I remember the feeling I had when the pandemic hit in March of 2020. I got multiple businesses uh-huh. and people were scared. Like, what do we do? Because there was a bunch of companies that were just laying people off. Yep. Hey, can't come to work. And I was able to look at all my people and go, even if we don't hit a lick for 12 months, I could pay you all. Yep. Right. And what that did is that removed the stress of them worrying about how they were going to buy milk, put steaks on the table, keep uh-huh. the lights on. And they were able to, to focus on work. And that's when we were able to take and just skyrocket. One of my businesses suffered just because it was in the mm-hmm. restaurant industry. Yeah. Right. And, and then we saw it. Right. Yeah. You, you might know guess things which too. ones. Right. Yes. You know, but the real estate industry shot through the roof. Mm-hmm. And and we were actually, actually, it's funny. I was even talking about this on another episode uh, today that we recorded is that the business model I have today for the real estate side of things, well, not the fund or any of the other stuff, mm-hmm. but just the real estate team for Sotheby's. I wanted to have that model. I've been trying to put that model in place for 12 months leading up to the pandemic. And people were just like, no, that's not, uh, this is not the way it's always been done. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yep. The, the, the phrase that was, it's like nails on a chalkboard yeah, for an yeah. entrepreneur. <laughs> but this is the way it's always been done. And you're like, eh, no, I don't want to hear that. And then it took March of 2020 where I was like, we're pushing this model forward. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden people were like, okay, makes sense. Yeah, totally. And then we were able to just skyrocket, you know, through there. So to answer your question, yes, people. But here's the thing is big corporations are are, are going away. Like one of the other speakers that we had on the board meeting was talking about how I think 53% of the working population now is 1099. Okay. So that's Okay, so essentially, if you're a 1099, you're almost like a little bit of an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. right? A little bit. Love but that. here's here's another thing, though. What does the government do if you're a 1099? Because 
the government operates, right, their, their way of producing income is by taxing people. Mm-hmm. So if they can't rely on big corporations to be able to pay those, not just taxes, but employee taxes, Social Security and all that other stuff, or match you know, what the employees pay and so forth, then that causes a deficit in the money. And we know that, you know, look, I'm not left, I'm not right, I'm not down the center. I'm just very apolitical. Is I really don't like somebody else have any idea to spend my money for me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now you got the government's got to figure out, hey, we got a money problem. And the only way for them to fix the money problem is to start printing more money, which therefore causes inflation, mm-hmm. right? So that causes a big issue. And one of the other things, too, that one of the speakers said is, you know, now, you know, we're a, back in the 20s, a company that was formed, its life expectancy was, I think, like 72 or 74 years. Mm-hmm. Where now a company that is uh, uh, built like a corporation has a 14-year life expectancy. And that's even if you get to get to established. I mean, I, I brought some numbers for you as I well, numbers. I love which numbers. is that according to the, I think it's the Bureau of Labor, only 25% of new businesses make it to 15% or 15 years or more these days. So like only one in four businesses make it 15 years, but it's, but it's, it's like, if you look at the pathway, it's even worse than that. Like 20% of new businesses failed during the first two years. 45 during the first five and 65 during the first 10. So these, these companies, even if they get to maturity and they get entrenched and they have a moat and they have, you know, happy stakeholders, employees, customers or clients, partners, vendors, uh, shareholders, the investors, like even then the expectancy is decreasing. So the fail rate is wild. I, I just think that's so wild to think yeah. how high the fail rate is. But then also, like, you, you don't just get to coast anymore because everything's changing so fast. So that was going to be my next question for you is, why is it that these companies aren't surviving past the 10 years? Well, I, I, I would think that it's, it's actually a double-edged answer. Like, how do you even get to 10 is it, I'd want to solve for first. And that, yeah. that's where I'd say, I, I, to go back, I would say that a company has two imperatives, not just one. We're in agreement on the first one, which is people first. But the second thing I think is that a company to succeed has to be value obsessed. And if you go down that pathway, you have to ask yourself, how do you figure out what is valuable? And I'd say figuring that out, finding that fit, finding that value. And I've got different breakdowns for value to businesses versus value to consumers that I've been working on. So we can dig into that if you want. But I'd say first, solve for how you get to be in the market for 10 years. And that's being people first, value obsessed. Next, don't forget to future proof. That's how you solve for the next thing is having a better version of the net promoter score, which is not a number. It's a you sitting down with your customers and clients and consumers for 10 years and saying, we're now about to reach year 10. How are we, and you should have been doing this the whole way. We both know this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we forget. I imagine you forget sometimes. I do sometimes. Maybe you don't. But sometimes I forget to pay attention to the people who matter, the ones who keep the lights on. The people who matter, I don't know if it's the most, because you want to think that employees first, that's a whole other debate. But people paying the bills, have you asked them how they're doing? And I would say that's how you solve for that 10-year mark. 
which is along the way as you ask, get even more aggressive about it and ask them what they want tomorrow because then you can at least plan for year 11 and then you can hire some fancy like Boston consulting or some, some other people to do because you have a little extra money because you're doing well. You can be like, okay, let me pull in some some heavy hitters to tell me where I need to go next. Like I bet they can figure it out. But you just can't coast. I mean, I, and I would say on both sides of the fence, you can't coast. You got to ask people what they want to figure out your initial product and figure out what they want to future-proof your product and the growth of your company. Just like Gary Vee says, if you're not trying to put yourself out of business, somebody else is, right? Absolutely. And you've got to stay on that. So we had a team meeting um, on the span group side of things. We've had two in the last two weeks, well, last week and the week before, namely because we we got stuck in our own, this is the way this has been done, right? <sighs> right. And, he, and I think even though shivers. I hate that, yeah, even though I hate that, but sometimes we we go based off of the knowledge that we have, right? Mm-hmm. And we're already, and here's where I, I figured out where we got stuck is how we operate our team, no other real estate team in, in the nation or at least successful one, because I've talked to just about all of them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on the phone with people all the time. What are you doing? How you doing? Want to get to know you, looking for other yeah. referral sources, who are the best, so forth. And when I describe what we're doing, the first thing people say is like, how are you even pulling that off, right? And the first thing I have to say is, you have to have the right people. As a matter of fact, <laughs> everybody that's on my team, to include myself, when I came into now, my wife's been in real estate for 22 years, mm-hmm. owned her own brokerage, managed brokerage for Sotheby's, seen both sides of it. And when I came into real estate, I was like, hey, I think this is something that we could build, but we have to find the right people that don't have habits that are going to keep them from succeeding yeah. that they would have learned somewhere else. And so I was really the first test case of never being in the industry. No mm-hmm. person on my team right now had ever been in the industry before we recruited them. Now, they might have been there in a capacity of some form, maybe like a transaction coordinator, but never bought and sold real estate, right. right? And so we built this incredible team that allows us to move at just lightning mm-hmm. speed. Like, And for the audience, I mean, like going from $6 million to $15 million to $20 million to... Uh, 35 million to 44 million. Just, I mean, that's massive scale. And especially in an area like Fort Worth, where your average price point is $350,000, right? So that's a lot of transactions. Mm -hmm. But also to grow our model where we've been, I mean, like globally known for being the most closed referrals through Sotheby's. I mean, one of the reasons why you and I got connected and and, and talked to, and and it was really interesting is we had to focus on how we were going to do that. But then, so now that we... We even got stuck on our way because we're doing something that's never been done, right? At least I haven't found a single real estate right. team that's doing it the way we were doing. But we just kind of had this even stuck in the mud ourselves of like, well, before we can put this person over here, they have to demonstrate they can do this. Mm-hmm. And then so two weeks ago, it was like, okay, we'd done way too much of that. It mm-hmm. was like, okay, it's time for you to transition over here. You're going over here. Yep. And how we got through that is... When I found out that one of my people was very, very unhappy, and I was like, how long has this been going on? And they were like, six months. And I was like, what? Like, I have one of my sayings. If you see something, say something, <laughs> right? And then, so we all got in there on the big dry erase board, and we were like, just start spitting off what you don't like, what you don't do. And it was really funny, because it turns out this person doesn't like doing X, 
but this person over here likes doing X Absolutely. and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. And then so we were like, oh my gosh. So, but one of the folks on our team who's incredible, credible, credible person was like, but man, it just seems like we're always changing. And I was like, yeah, but we've changed a lot, but there's never been a year that you didn't make more than you did the year before. <laughs> That's a powerful and, argument. And, and there hasn't been a year where you haven't gotten more into the lane of now you're doing what you really enjoy right. doing, right? Right. So some people are afraid of the change and the evolving, and they have to see it to go, oh, and I can get it. It can be a little exhausting. Like, okay, this is what we're doing this week. And then a month later, it's like, okay, we've taken this change and we've taken this change. And I said, that change is going to keep occurring until we get this really worked out. Yeah. Right. And that's, yeah. I think that's a part of building something. Mm -hmm. Right. I think so too. I, I would wonder. So I love the idea. I mean, we've, we've fallen into this a few times, the idea of building a non-traditional team to do a traditional job because buying and selling <laughs> real estate is very traditional. We've been doing it for a while, yeah. but you have a very non-traditional team. What are some of the areas that with a non-traditional team that is essentially outperforming a traditional team? What are some of the pitfalls of that? Like what have, have there been gotchas or has it only been rainbows and sunshine? I, I would say the gotchas have been minimal. The got the gotchas have been more occurred internally, right? <laughs> Where we were like, okay, we can adjust that. But I thought what you said really is what we struggle with the most. We're a non-traditional team dealing with a traditional environment, mm -hmm. which means whether you're buying or selling, you're dealing with a party on the other side that A doesn't understand you, right? Yep. B is like, what, why, how, oops, this, that. Right. And, 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 and especially in a market that is so static right now that you have to be very agile and you have to move very quick. Where it, I would say the internal team struggle is we are designed to move very fast, very efficient, very smooth, but we have to deal with people that don't move fast, are not efficient, and not smooth. That is entirely what I would expect. I mean, that makes part because they're because they're expecting they they've bought and sold things before. And so they just think it's gonna be again. And then you show up and it's a little different. A lot different. Yeah. Where where I've sold for where I've sold for that, we actually did this with Model B when we first brought it to market. We had all these cool buzzwords, all these cool phrases, like and we leaned into how different we were. Like I used to do influence advertising more than uh, CPG and D to C, or business to consumer, and and uh, you know direct to consumer. Like I was more of a, and like I was grew up in DC. Of course, I do influence ads, right, for like wind power and cannabis and that kind of stuff. But getting more into the direct to consumer and business to business space, I, I realized the magic trick is. Even if you are different, like say you're paying to put a billboard in front of somebody or a Facebook ad or a LinkedIn ad or whatever it is, even if you are different, you want to introduce yourself as exactly the same first. And then when they say, let them ask you why you're different and you'll get, a, at least we've gotten a lot further. Because when we were like, we're so different, we don't even make sense compared to what our competitors do. It would be like, well, that, that's like cool, but I also want to hire th that company. So... Like we we like you and really appreciate the time that we spent together, but like it doesn't feel safe. <laughs> <laughs>
So stop trying to lead with why we're different and why uh, the great job we do. And then when we dig into why we're different, that's when they go, oh, like I was ready for that part now. Like I've already had a couple of calls and a couple of meetings. Like I'm not scared of you. At least that's what, it's helped us a lot. It's helped us get into a lot with our advertising agency. We were like, we're, it's like people wanted to buy an advertising agency and we're like, we're blah, 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 blah. Like just all this other stuff. And they'd be like, okay, uh, that's, we think that's what's in the line item for you guys and our annual budget, but we're not totally sure. We're not totally sure, but there's been a big upside to it, which is just, as you said, coming to it from a totally different perspective has allowed us to build things in a different way. Have you seen that uh, YouTube video on the backwards bicycle? Yes. Okay. Yes. I love that. It video. looks hard to ride. Oh, I, I'm not even going to attempt it. Like I can barely <laughs> ride a bicycle, let alone ride a backwards bicycle, right? Like that's that, that's another TBI coming right there, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is But it, it is interesting is you have to be, in my opinion, or in my experience as EO, and in my experience, an experience share is uh, uh, being gestalt is, in my experiences, if you're going to bring this different thing, you got to be committed to it. Yes. Which means you got to be okay with not getting some of the business mm-hmm. that you thought you were going to get before. And I think that was probably the scariest thing for the team you know, and, and Laura would even say, she goes, does that bother you? And I was like, you're married to the most risk tolerant person on the planet. <laughs> like, you, you know, like I, I, I'm like, Hey, I, I'll just do it. Just for, like, like if, if the world was left up to me, it would look like the book of Eli. Cause I'd be the guy that pushes the red button just to see what happens. Right. Yep. You know? But, you know, but we have the right people to keep it in between the ditches, but you have to be willing to like go of business you know like like last year i mean we turned down four million dollars worth of volume throughout the year total added up right i mean that's well over a hundred thousand dollars in commission dollars yeah and people are like oh my god how could you do that i was like well we still did 44 million so i'm pretty sure we're doing okay but we had to be but you have to be committed to it because but i'm but i'm interested is like and how you how you approach it with your consumer base of easing that into it because when we do describe what we do people are like what and especially when we have past clients that resurface and now we're doing it this way they're like well can't we do it the other way and i'm like no because this way is better Mm -hmm. and then even the ones that are the ones that do follow the processes or as we say we provide you decide we control the process you control the decisions yep right and as we get through that, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is so much better. Oh, my yes. gosh, we did feel a lot better. But w- what is that magic sauce that you guys have found that doesn't scare people off by being different, but allows them to see enough to where they're like, ooh, I feel like I need to use them? You know, our, our biggest thing that scares people off these days at Model B is actually our base retainer fee because it's, yeah. it's, it's expensive. We're expensive. Yeah. And I say, yes, my, my team is expensive. Like, I can't retain the best talent and, you know, keep them on hand to manage your work if I don't pay them, you know, what they deserve, the, the value that they provide through their outputs. So that's where most people turn away because... People basically have to be spending at least 50 G's a month for us to 
drive a positive ROI and they have to have a product market fit. Doesn't matter if you spend a million dollars a month, like you can sell seven or eight of your gadgets, but they might cost a hundred thousand each to sell because nobody wants them. So starting that product market fit, handing us $50,000, we can almost always say, if you have a stack of orders, if you, if you need leads generated for your B2B, like SaaS shop, whatever it is, we'll get you there. We'll get you that return. I say that to say we approach to answer your question of how we make sure we don't turn people away by being a little different. You just, we just have to know whether we're dealing with an educated buyer who already knows that if you have a great team, some back in tech, and past performance, like really it's about the relationship that with the, the people that you're talking to at the agency. Like that come, that's everything. Because if they see the team, they see the output, and they're an educated buyer, they'll be like, we'll give these guys a shot. It's the non-educated ones we have to be super careful about turning away. So that's where we do most of our work. Because think about it. You have some CMOs who are working for a fund, who got a, big, a new round in, who don't necessarily know everything top to bottom. Or maybe it's a CEO who's, like, who's not well-versed in every little bit of what we do. So the people who don't know what we do, I have to sit down with them and be very careful about saying, okay, that budget you have, assuming you have a good fit with your market, we're going to bring you a multiple of the amount of dollars you give with us. And we'll sit down, walk them through the process, show them what it looks like, because they don't know. So as long as, we, if, as long as we put them on educated or uneducated, and mind you, some of these people who hire us should never be educated. That's not their job. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying we have to be cognizant of where they are and meet them there in terms of whether we're pitching our value prop, which is like, we make you money. <laughs> or whether we're saying, oh, no, we understand you know what we do. Here are the reasons why we're a step above the competition in terms of like quality of the team, quality of some of our back in tech that we use to manage our campaigns, quality in our creative team, or just quality of results. Like, look at, look at what we've done. Like, the numbers are right here, and we can probably do that for you. Like, no guarantees. And the conversations usually go pretty smooth. And if, if they're not like pretty... If they're not in one of those two groups and and like nothing makes sense, I usually just like call you up instead. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You want to do a podcast or something? I don't think this meeting is gonna gonna help me if I have this meeting. You, you said you said something that was really really interesting that I I definitely relate to is your base model fee, right? Mm-hmm. Is the word value has been so misinterpreted for so long that people confuse value with the dollar sign. Yes. And that couldn't be, that's called commoditization, yes. right? And one of the things we had to be willing to accept is like, we get all the time asked, will you cut your commission? No, hmm. right? And people go, how much business do you think you could have done? And I was like, what, do twice the work for half the money? Yep. I mean, when there's plenty of people out there- So many. that understand the value proposition they understand the value that we're bringing that we don't have to cut our commission yeah because the second you fall in that trap that's a death spiral right see i i I take and again i'm an entrepreneur you said nails on a chalkboard to you is oh we've just always done it that way before for me again this is also because we have the highest base we ever have had starting january of this year at model b but Nails on a chalkboard to me is when people come to me for discounts. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't 
One of one of my one of my partners at Model B the other day asked me to go back to one of our vendors and ask for a discount. I go, no. <laughs> like, what would you? I'm sorry. Like, you, you would you want them to walk into our office and say the D word? Like, right. I'm not. I will ask them if they can do less work. Yeah, that's fine. I'll be like, hey, you have eight line items here, and they have prices next to them. So I'm going to remove those two and get the price I want. Thank you for that detailed presentation, vendor, yeah. partner, whatever we call you. That's fine. But like asking somebody to work for less is not a thing I'm I'm okay with. I think it's saying I don't value you or I don't trust you to price your business or you're taking too high of a profit margin or you're not value driven. So I'm not going to be happy. And I guess you could argue that it depends on who you're working with. But I want to work with the people who know how to do all that stuff. And when they give me a price, it's what the price should be. And then they can have the money. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair, right? Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree whatsoever. You know, it was like on, on my fund, one of the houses, right, that we have. And there's a floor issue, for example. And it was like, hey, when we originally got quote, it was to do all the floors. Mm-hmm. And I like what you're saying is like, okay, but how much is it to do just this portion of the yeah. floor? Because, you know, and it, you know, so the, the quote, you know, it was like eight, $9,000. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, how much to do this one? I was like eight, $9,000. And I was like, okay, I would love for you to get the business, but I'm not going to be willing to pay the same amount for all the floors to be done for one little portion. I understand how yours works and I don't want to insult you. But we're going to go get another quote, not because I'm looking for a discount. I just don't want to pay the same price I would pay to have them all done when I don't need them all done. I just well, need less work. this one section, yes. right? Less work, less money. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Always, all, all always. day. What I would not do with that same person is go, hey, how much is it to do this? And you're like, okay, well, it's a quarter of what the project is. So it's $2,500. Cool. Can you do it for $2,000? I wouldn't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Not looking for that type of atmosphere just like hey i wanted to be priced fair because i'm willing to pay a fair price for stuff right yeah you know i mean that's how i see values when things are fair and and by the way am i willing to overpay for something that i thought that the service was absolutely knocked out of the park hell yeah so our forum was down in uh, key west uh, a couple weekends ago and we just, I'm still bragging about the level of service down there, which just seems wait, like wait, every, I'm sorry, where did you stay? Every, so, everywhere. I mean, no matter what restaurant we went to, really? wow. the next one had even better service. It was just <laughs> ridiculous. So on the last night, uh, we are at this place called Martin's uh, Seafood Steakhouse. And I got there a few minutes after everybody else. And they said, man, you're going to love our waiter. This guy is a trip. And it turns out his name is Trip. Anyhow, this guy, the just the service the 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 commentary the entertainment the whole nine yards was so spectacular that when you know because i'm the treasurer for ours and when we got the ticket and there's eight of us right and i mean we're drinking some wine we're drink we are not <laughs> drinking cheap stuff and we're eating some good food and i got the ticket and i said hey come here i was like there's no way it's this and he goes Oh, did I accidentally put something on there? I was like, no, there's no way that it's only fifteen hundred dollars. I was like, there's no way. We we got way too much out of this. He's like, no, I mean, oh no, that's everything on there. I was like, you sure you didn't forget to put something on here, like a meal or Mm -hmm. something? 
He's like, no, it's our honor. So when he walked off, I just looked at everybody and I was like, anybody got a problem with tipping him a grand? Everybody's like, nope. Wow. So we tipped him a grand because uh, we had just the, I was like, well, the value came more than just the food and the right. drinks. It was the right. experience right. to where I hit a thousand on it. Right. So it's 2,500, put it in the book. He comes by, gives it to him. We're making our way out. It's like five minutes later, we're up at the front. We're trying to figure out, hey, it's our last night. Do we go out and have more drinks or do we act like responsible half century old men and go back to the hotel and actually go to bed at a decent hour since we got to leave for the airport at like six in the morning? And this guy comes out and just like gives me a hug. And I Amazing. was like, oh, he was like, dude, like, thank you. And I was like, yeah, you're welcome. But dude, you earned every bit yep. of that. He's like, Man, I've been in the service industry a long time, and he goes, on rare occasions, has anybody ever tipped almost the entire amount of what the ticket was mm -hmm. on a very expensive dinner? And I was like, dude, well, that's the way you're looking at it. I was looking at it. It was like, it, first off, the owner, if this is all that he charged, then, well, that's his fault because the rest, because <laughs> I believe this is what, with the service and the food, was a $2,500 meal. Yep. And if he made the decisions, only 1500 of it is the food and the drinks and everything else. Well, that's his fault. You get to be the beneficiary of it because mm -hmm. you delivered. Mm -hmm. Right. And he was just like, I get to make rent. <laughs> I was like, good for yeah, you, man. Exactly. You know? So now, and I like that you started that story out by saying that you think that people have gotten confused on what value really is. I mean, it's, you know, if you think of a business, what does a business to business company do? It either, increases top line or protects the bottom or like makes you more money by making you more efficient. Like everything from QuickBooks to marketing companies to like almost everything falls into one of those two categories, like growth of top line revenue or taking more money home through these efficiencies. And I think that on the consumer side, there are three things companies are vending. It's, uh, and this was in a book called Your Money or Your Life that I'm reading, which is really good. I forget the author, but amazing book, making me think about how money is used differently. But it, it has this chart where he goes, okay, every human needs this much money. And there are three, there are three, there are three layers. The first layer is survival, enough food to eat, shelter, you know, compare that to Maslow's hierarchy in some ways. The next one is comfort. It's when you actually, you know, get to, you know, maybe get a BMW if that's like your version of comfort. It falls within the budget. And then the next one is luxury. And what that man delivered for you at that dinner is he took a comfortable, fun dinner with your friends and he turned it right up to a luxury experience. And what did you do? You copped him accordingly. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You're like, here you go, my man. Yeah. And there, not one person in my forum had any issue. Of, of course it. Like, not. like. What? Like, you got to be kidding me. Of course not. And, you know, and it's really interesting that you, you talking about those three things. So my daughter's 21 at college, figuring out life, got herself a job. She's taking care of herself. Right. And mm -hmm. I was like, you know, that's, you know, you're not going to go to class. You got to pay your own bills. This is the mm -hmm. way this works out. And so it was really kind of funny in that, uh, you know, of course, you know, my wife gets all wound up, you know, it's like, man, you know, I wish she would do this. And I was like, it's her life, you know, I mean, whatever, whatever she wants to choose to do, I just want her to be happy, but I want her to also understand the rules of life. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, Maggie is 
if you have a job that, like you were talking about just now, survival, mm-hmm. you can pay the bills, you can buy the groceries, you can put the gas in the tank, that's level one. Level two is you get to do all that and you get to go do that comfort thing you're talking yep. about, right? Yep. So now you can take trips, you can get mm-hmm. that extra vehicle, you can buy your extra wardrobe, whatever that may be. And then the third level, I like how you put it with luxury is I really, for me, I was trying to describe to her is, is a dispensable income, mm-hmm. right? And that's the stuff you can use to either really go do something really nice or invest in your future for retirement yep. or have be able to punch out and do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, but also understand those are not synonymous of each other, right? And those right. can move up and down from each other very quick on things that you're not in control of, yeah. right? You can't predict when a pandemic's going to hit, mm-hmm. things like that. I think that kind of changed the thought process of a lot of people in this country because you had, in my opinion, again, in my experience, there was, there was three groups of people. Well, I can't wait for it to go back to the way it was. Then you had this other group of people of, I can't wait to find out what happens next. Mm-hmm. And then you have the a bunch of folks in the middle going, I really want it to go back to the way it was, but I acknowledge that it's not, but I'm scared of where we go next, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so find, talking with people to see what camp they were in, and I think this recent article on Goldman Sachs that just came out, I don't know if you saw that, where they were like, hey, everybody's back in the office Monday through Friday, now two years after people working in a hybrid model and everything else. And their people said, no, we're not going to do that. We'll go get a job elsewhere. Right. Right. So what do you do? And it was funny. So a friend of mine, we have these debates. And when he was on my show uh, nine months ago, had this debate and said, but what do you do when your workforce, your talent pool, your people, demand a certain thing. And by the way, without having them, you can't do X, Y, Z or your product or whatever. What do you do when they say, we have a demand that this is what this is going to be? Because that's the new norm. Uh And that changes things. And the companies that adapt to things, I think will at least have a chance at progressing forward. And those that don't, well, they're going to be blockbusters. Yep, blockbuster. I like that as a, as a verb. Is that, is that what it's called? <laughs> it's literally a verb now. I verb, think. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think that's exactly right. But it, but it presents an opportunity. I mean, like like every bad thing can become a good thing if you use it the right way. So yeah. it's like, okay, people want this now. Well, great. We have studies, surveys, qualitative data, quantitative data. Let's do what they say within the confines of it still working for all the stakeholders. Like it's simple approach right it's like okay well you can have this much but not but not all of it because here's the reason and if that reason makes sense nobody's gonna like they might still say well i still don't want to come back into the office that doesn't work for me but they'll at least say thank you for breaking it down right yeah yeah like it's fair yeah 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 so from from you living over there on the east coast and being in dc could you kind of get get to see a, a bit of everything Right. I do. Uh, I mean, you're like right in the middle of the, the hot pocket over there. I am. And right in the middle of you. I, in my experience, <laughs> what I've tended to notice is 
it seems like views towards things are becoming more extreme. If this or that, with a lot of people, especially in politics, right? Instead mm-hmm. of going, you know what? I want to see who the best player is. That's no longer an option. It's like, no, you have to choose this or that, right? Mm-hmm. Which that really annoys me because I'm like, hey, as a veteran, and did all this. That way people can have a choice. It'll tell me what mine needs to be. But when you're sitting here in the hot box of everything going on, because you can see the extremes of both, right? Of people saying, this is what we should do in a pandemic world. And the other one's going, what pandemic world? <laughs> and you're sitting here going, you know, regardless of what somebody may or may not believe or agree with, where do you see the country going, being there and seeing it where all the decision makers are? Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. No, it makes perfect. It's like, are we getting, I would, I would kind of frame this to say, simple question, are we getting more extreme? And if so, what's next? Kind of like that, like yeah. on the right and the left. Well, I would say we're getting more extreme uh, in everything. I agree with that, period. Everything yeah. from Pokemon c- cards to, <laughs> uh, to our views on, uh, you know, environmental policy. I, I think everything, like the left is getting lefter. The rate is getting brighter, but at the same time, I think the even the the moderate path, the middle one, is getting more extreme. So, in terms of, I'll say, I already don't know what happens next, but yeah. I, I I think one of the causes, and I flock to this one because I am one of the people. I'm an advertiser. I serve information into the eyeballs of whoever you tell me to. Now, I do it for capital gain for the most part. Like it's all commercial campaigns to make companies make money. Yeah, for the most part, but I still do some legislative campaigns every now and again, and those are to change people's minds, change people's votes. And I don't do it for elected officials, just mm. for like policy things, building yeah. things. If you ever really get a yeah. permit in a local town, I mean, yeah. we'll talk. But it's very, I do like two percent of that work, but I, I like it. I enjoy like winning hearts and minds through yeah. advertising. But I say all that to say, I think what I see as what is happening in terms of why everybody's getting more extreme is because our algorithms are getting better at echo chambers. Ooh. And I saw a study that was probably made up, but I think we should all Google this after this podcast and see if it's made up or not. I was scrolling through Reddit earlier in the back of an Uber, and it, there was a study that said uh, hardcore Republicans are 26 more likely to have more concern or having more moderate or open views after watching CNN for 20 minutes. Now, that's true. I'm going to go find that study. Again, I was scrolling through Reddit. It's not a site, a citation, but it looked like a scientific study. If that's true, I would challenge each of each of the three of us and our main man over here, Gage, on the on the sound system to try and spend a few minutes every day diving into something that is 100% contrary to one of our strongest opinions that we have about anything. Yeah. And that is how we could, we don't have to dismantle big tech companies through legislation and the SEC and whatever. Like we have to hold ourselves responsible for dipping our toe into other people's opinions. And then we can just nullify all of that bad stuff and we can encourage our friends to do it too. So I go read about somebody's opinion who I completely disagree with and I run through the argument and it makes me think a little way the other way. And it turns out that I was a little wrong, just like they're still a little wrong, but maybe there's a better answer in the middle. That'll make the world better. Man, I could not agree with you more is 
I'm always intrigued to understand, let's say somebody's opposing opinion or opposing argument, right? Now, for two reasons. One, I'd like to understand their perspective, but two, if I can understand how they see the problem, I might have a better chance at winning whatever the situation is, right? Amen. Right? But I'm not, how can I, how can I push a boulder uphill if I don't know how high, how high the other, <laughs> the top of the mountain is, right? Because you can't see, you can't see, I mean, that boulder's bigger than you, you can't, you can't see how far mm-hmm. you've gone. And, and, you know, but sometimes along the way, you're absolutely right, is that, hey, I never really considered that, hmm, I want to learn more about that mm-hmm. or tell me more about that. Or what it does is it reaffirms, oh, wow, my my opinion, right? Because that's all it is at the end of the day is a lot more concrete than what I thought it was before. Exactly. Right? And that, and then you maybe realize that that person is uh, potentially a lunatic. Or maybe, <laughs> but maybe you're potentially the lunatic. It's probably the latter. It's yeah. probably, in my yeah, case, yeah, yeah. it's probably the latter. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I lock heads as one of my co-founders so often because I'm an egotistical uh, twit sometimes. <laughs> And he always reminds me, he's like, hey, man, I'm just just trying to help and share what I know. If you don't want it, I don't have to share it. I'm like, oh, no, I do want it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, just, I just got I, I, I got annoyed because you're challenging what I know. And I like to think I'm right. And this new thing says I'm not right. And But if I can get over that, what happens is we're all better together. Like, so, And so if we step up a level because we took knowledge and facets and glimmers of information from people that we would think that we don't want the opinion of. It's, it's still a win-win, but we have to get over it. Like, it's on us. And it's kind of like one of the many, many philosophies I have is, is it the better be happy or right? Yep. And sometimes being right, hey, you got to take that right home. I was right. But then you're unhappy and the other parties are unhappy when it's like, hey, let me try to understand. Matter of fact, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a prime example of, and I do enjoy the challenges of things, right? Like you and I are a players, right? I mean, we we just we like to win, right? We like challenges, you know. That whole and you and I've had this discussion before of like when somebody says that can't be done and hold my beer watch this right no matter how ludicrous it is uh, right those words are like, like my kryptonite oh, yeah like oh yeah like oh i'm going to jail yeah uh, like, literally going to jail hang on oh, give me watch a week. this watch this <laughs> yeah, yeah. so i remember when i was uh when i was in college and i was you know working midnights as a police officer so i was working from eight at night six in the morning on patrol and then I was in class from seven to three, depending on the day, because classes in college never line up back to back. And one of the classes I was taking was a debate class. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it was funny because all the students in there and, 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 and they, they knew I was a police officer, you know, because they were always like, why are you always tired? And I was like, well, I've been up since like, you know, 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. yesterday. So then the professor was like, okay, y'all team up and figure out who you want to debate with and y'all figure out what topic and who takes what side. So me just being an ego clown, right? As I said, I'll tell you what, I'll open this up right now. I'll take on anybody and I'll allow you to pick the topic and what side I'll be for. And there was a, uh, there was a girl in her class. She goes, I'll take you up on that. And I said, okay, what's the topic? She goes, prostitution and you're for it. The funny thing was, is, what she didn't realize is that was loaded right there because I already know and live in the laws of 
why it should be illegal and what is illegal. Mm-hmm. And you're asking me to take on this. Life. So now I'm going to go research this, but I already know your argument. I'm going to know your, I know where you're going to go dig and I'm going to be able to counteract your argument. So when we got up there to debate it, I mean, she was just dead in the water, right? It was just like, yeah, of course I knew you were going to bring that up. Here's my counter to that, right? And I had nothing but counters to it, not because I believed in the counters. I was like, okay, if I know everything about that opposition, I can go find things that can counter it. We're at the end of class, and even the professor was like, holy shit, I'm a conservative guy, and I'm all for prostitution now, right? <laughs> or legally, not, let me rephrase that. He said not for prostitution, but legalizing prostitution, right? Yes. And then at the end of it, the professor said, what do you what do you think dude should should it be legalized and i was like that's not what i'm up here <laughs> like, i wasn't i was informing I, an opinion I, yeah I, i'm not up here you know and it's really funny it's like i still have friends like close friends that have known me for decades that still don't even know how i vote right yep. because i just keep those in why because i like hearing what other people think yep. it's like hey i want I, I like gathering data yes Right. Yes. And sometimes the way I vote is this one seems to suck less than the other one. Yeah. When you're in in a bind, you got to go with the least worst option. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where I wasn't meaning like when I had asked a question is like necessarily a political grenade. But how do you see kind of that in business with extremist views? That's the wrong word. It's not necessary, but views becoming more and more extreme. How? That affects business and does it does it does it squash business or does it create new opportunities? Well, I think I think a lot of fights in business, and I mean when I say business, I'm gonna say the all of it. Like the yeah. deal making, the funding, the running, all the way down from the person at the front desk all the way up to the CEO in the ivory tower. You know, it doesn't matter if you're three people, 30 people, 30,000 people. I think when it comes to thing, like things that are extremely aggressive opinions in the workplace and business land, a lot of them just stem from a total lack of communication of how a deal works. And an example of that is like, if I ever have, you know, a uh, an issue, and I don't really get to manage people at, at my companies. We have people who do that. They're much better at it than I am. Uh, they're much better at most things than I am. But on the off chance that there is a personnel issue that uh, that I get involved in, usually my response, retort, and solution is let's walk them down the line. Let, like let's explain why it is the way that it is. Like they may not know why a salary has to be capped at this level or why we don't have, you know, beer taps in the corner or why we do like on the flip side, because that can be a good decision in terms of reducing attrition. If you have high attrition and you need more fun stuff that I won't call culture, but I'll call it fun stuff in the office or on the Zooms or whatever, like for all things, like they have to drive back to the purpose of the company, which is driving value and being people first and then that wheel of stakeholders when we say people we mean the whole wheel so i say that to say incredibly aggressive business arguments and i specifically thought of the one that where everybody is demanding higher minimum wages at wendy's which i i'm not for or against it because i haven't run the math Mm -hmm. but if i ran the math and i had to be for it 
I would have to look at the P&L and say, hey, everybody, we can do $17.50 an hour raises, but we have to raise the price of the hamburger by $3 because that's what the P&L says, because that's how many hamburgers you make a dollar. And the market research says that if we do that, we're actually going to go out of business. So we won't have any jobs um, because that's just the math of it, because you can't sell a burger from Wendy's for the same price you can get a burger at Capital Burger next to the convention center in Washington, D.C., because they're different price points. I said, I'm not for or against it because maybe the PL of Wendy says they can pay their people $25 an hour tomorrow. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that's way aggressive and probably not true because I don't think the margin on in that industry is very high. But the point is, is when somebody comes like saying they want this thing, I think the easiest and immediate best solution is to just sit down and walk, walk it down the line. And, and explain like, and unfortunately, that does come with an investment of maybe teaching somebody how business works. That's only good, right? Yeah. Like for them, for the company they work for, for where they go next, for the company they start, for our relationship, so they actually understand it. I mean, I think communicating why it is why uh, can diffuse a lot of the the shouting and pointed fingers and the complaints around corporations being bad and we're not actually talking about corporations being bad bad because that's a different podcast yeah oh yeah no i couldn't agree with you more and actually it's interesting this is what i love about the show is i get so much from my guests of i have something in my brain and as many people that work with me will say i'm a robot and a lot of it is i always say i'm a communicating moron because I'd have a hard time communicating. My brain works so fast. It's hard for me to find the words to articulate what I'm trying to say. And you just put it the best way that I have heard it yet. It's like, I'm not necessarily for or against something. It's just, does it pencil? Mm -hmm. And if mm -hmm. it doesn't pencil, you know, if it does pencil, great benefit. If, 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 we can pencil it and you benefit and we benefit and we're both more better off. Yeah, win, win. But if it doesn't pencil and now you're better off temporarily, but in the long run, now you don't have a job. What do you, you know, what do you do? And, and, and so for you to say walking them through it and then also having the understanding that some people will just never understand it. Right? Which is okay. Which is fine. You yeah. know, but it's to go, okay, well, maybe it's a way how you carve the conversation up. Okay, well, here's what we can do. Do you like working here? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, if we do this right now, then you won't be working here in three months. Not because I don't want you to work here. It's because we will have to close the doors of the business. Yep. Because the P&L on this thing says, and that's why it is like, <laughs> you were taking that uh, with a uh, strengths and weaknesses finder survey. Probably, right? probably, oh, yeah. Right. I've taken a few. Oh, yeah. And I've taken all the different ones. And you know, I'm big in culture index. But we, our forum did uh, the strengths finder one. And naturally, empathy and harmony were the lowest two for me. Right. <laughs> no surprise. I mean, no shock. Right. I mean, it's not like finding a clue for the detective's office here. Right. It was like, no, no kidding. Is. Because whenever someone asks me a question, I'm not responding in a way of like, well, it's because the way I feel about something is I literally see the world like the matrix, right? Ones and zeros is like, okay, well, what do the numbers say? Or how does this work out? Because if this thing dies down and that affects this, then we're all screwed. 
So we need to make these sacrifices here in order to make that more beneficial in order to do X, right? So prime, prime example would be like my fund model is this. Mm-hmm. We buy properties, we make them more profitable. So when the investors give us more money to go buy more properties where we make more money and therefore make them more profitable, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, hey, boom, 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 boom. And if they aren't becoming more profitable, did we buy the wrong property? Yep. Let's not do that again. Let's not do that or, again. Um, has the market gotten to a point that no matter what we do to it, it can't be profitable? Okay, well, then we're done. We're out, right? Or is there something within our control that we can make that more profitable? Mm-hmm. Okay, what do we learn from that? And is it worth it to do that to make it more profitable? But then you have to look at it and go, was there any one-offs that were involved in this that caused that to be not profitable? Because one-offs, you can be like, okay, all right, one-offs are one-offs. But if it's a reoccurring theme, then you have to take that into the data, right? And go, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't pencil. So I love, hey, I've been trying to think of a way to explain that to people for like 18 months and literally you summed it up in two seconds. Well, if should I drop the mic? And you, I don't know. These are expensive mics. Okay, so I, I won't I, drop I, the mic. Metaphorical um, drop. <laughs> metaphorical drop. But, but no, I, I do think it's just a matter of being... I think it's also respectful to walk somebody through it, even if the answer is no. And I get criticized on this by some some people. They could be right or wrong. It's just how I like to be is I'm more of an over-explainer if I'm saying no. I'm like, no, and here's why. And people are always like, just say no. It's fine to just say no. But I'm like, but I want them to know why. Like, I want to explain, like, it's not that it's, I mean, it just comes out. It doesn't pencil or that approach won't work. I'd, I'd like it to because it's what you want. But it can't, and here's why. I mean, there's so I, I'm I don't know. Maybe maybe I just over-explain everything. But I prefer that people know why things are the way that they are because then they can use those whys for things later, right? Well, and I and I love the fact that you do that because I think of it like this, like an American Express card. Better to have it, not need it, than need it, not have it. So mm-hmm. it's better to have an explanation and not want it or need it than to want or need an explanation that wasn't given to you. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic. Well. We do, do like, they give you points, by the way, when you plug Amex? Do you get does your like you know what they thing? don't? But I'm gonna make a note we of that. Should, we Amex should, we should definitely give call them. me points. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna be like, if you start getting referrals off of my show, y'all are giving me some hookup. <laughs> yeah, right. And and it's by the way, good 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 swing there on the points thing, considering our uh, 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 earlier conversation before we were on hot mic. So kudos to that. Very witty, sir. Very very witty. <laughs> Well, we like to end all of these by saying, if you could go back to 20-year-old self, 20-year-old Ash, and say, okay, either do or don't do this, just that one piece of advice that you knew 20-year-old you would actually listen to, what would you tell 20-year-old self? I would need about a week because that's how long (laughs) it would take to convince me. And it, it wouldn't be to buy Apple um, although that would be cool. It would, it would be just, if I want to save myself a decade of pain, sweat, and tears, just check the ego and start asking for help. Like that's cause I was, that's when I, that's when I really started building companies full time with no qualifications whatsoever. No idea what I was doing. I've read like a waist high stack of MBA in 10 days books, but 
That would be, and I love where I am today. I'm amazing. This is great. We're together. I have mm -hmm. these great companies. They're all doing great. They're all doing what I want, which is being people first and value obsessed and all the stakeholders are happy. I have everything I want, but it, I feel like it took longer to get here than it needed to because I was an egotistical little punk. So if I could just sit me down, I'd be like, turn that off, go get coaching and you'll go so much faster. But I need a week to plant that into my dumb little head. Well, yeah. I tell you, is that is a very good and powerful one. And you said something is like getting coaching. Like mm -hmm. I'm on my third coach now. Yeah. And uh, not because the other two were not bad. It's just one gets you to the next level, right? And, uh, and that was huge because my last coach is really where I, my first coach, what I would say I, I was my takeaway was I learned that things I thought I was good at, it turns out I really wasn't good at those things and neither did anybody else think so. My second one was for me to learn how to get out of my own way and the fear of trusting people or my ego getting in the way or whatnot actually led me to being able to spend more time doing things that I actually enjoy these parts in business, mm -hmm. right? Whereas it's been summed up to me as I can build you the best found, I can build you the best foundation uh, that la best landscaping foundation money can buy, but I'll never get you yard of the month. Mm -hmm. There are people out there that'll get you yard of the month that can't build a foundation. I'm a foundation person. I know how to put it together. And quite frankly, I don't want to take the time and energy to learn how to do all the other details and doing all that. And then now my third coach is that's what we're targeting at is like, okay, you already know how to build foundations. You already know how to get out of your way. You already know what you're not good at. How do we, how do we really perform now? Right? Like how do we excel in that performance? And he's actually a fellow EO or that I'll nice. We'll, we'll talk about this evening as we, as we close this up. So people want to learn more about you. They're sitting here listening to the show, whether it, uh, whether what, which companies do you want to put out there? If somebody wants to learn more about that, they can reach out. Yeah. Oh, let's plug it. So uh, model B, if you're spending $50,000 or more a month and you want us to make you more money without money in your digital ad buy, call me, but actually more reasonably, if you, if anybody wants to chat advertiser marketing, it doesn't matter how much you're spending. My schedule is wide open. <laughs> Talk to you anytime. My accounting and finance companies, Ironclad Accounting and Finance supports companies that are usually in between two and 20 employees uh, willing to spend a little bit more than normal on bookkeeping, but that's because you get fractional CFO support from my co-founder, Dan Bender, if needed. He's amazing. He runs the shop over there. In terms of bars, hospitality, I've got a couple of new companies coming down the line. One is an online uh, athletics company called Rise and Rain. We just dropped the Instagram yesterday. Very excited. Uh, we have a PR company coming out soon. That name is Secret. I'm just the coach for all these guys. I don't, I don't, <laughs> don't worry. But I, I say that to say the other thing, if you ever want to talk about it at all, is business. So if you want to talk advertising, marketing, or business, does not ma matter where you are. If you're an intern looking for support, if you're uh, the CEO of Hershey's, uh, like I'm down to chat and I will tell you everything I know anytime you want. I think I had one more thing to say. No, I think that's everything, Jeremy, right? We or could easily make this like a 17 part series, I think, with you and I. Yeah. 
Like we, we could, we I'm could down. yeah. I'll be back on Monday. Hey, yeah, all right. Just, well, we're, we're going to wait till July to make okay. the next series. Yeah. We just get you down. We just put you on every yeah, series. Of course, I'll be here. Right? I'll and be then here. We'll get to go hang out and have some old fashions. And Ashton, thank you for coming on. For those of y'all that were listening, but maybe driving and couldn't write all this down, always remember you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. Click on the read more, Ashton Moore, read more about Ashton Moore. And uh, we'll have these links and other links in the new one that you just dropped. So that way you can get on there. And by the way, when you're looking at like Instagram and all these, like and share on these things. That's actually what unlocks the algorithms, you know. Uh, so that way it helps him from you know, promote what he's doing. And as always, if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, click that home button. Click find a trust professional. We'll make sure you get someone who's not an idiot. Thank you for coming on, Ashton. Appreciate Love your man. time and actually flying out for this. Of course. Yeah. So what'd you think? That was amazing. Yeah. Nice work. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so much.